Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we're joined by an old buddy of mine and good friend, Carlos Ridley. And Carlos was a highly sought after direct response copywriter and marketing consultant. He's worked with all levels of entrepreneurs from six figures and startups to nine figure mammoths. And his primary mission is to deliver as much value as possible to his fellow marketers and copywriters. I've known, I've been watching this guy work his magic for over 10 years now. So today I asked him to join us to talk about copy, selling subscriptions, and converting more leads into buyers. So, Carlos, thank you for joining us, my friend. How you doing? Let's go. I love it, man. Man, I love that. I love it. Thank you for the really nice intro. I'm excited to be here. Good, good. So, I mean, we've we've seen each other on a long journey from running martial arts schools, just being happy to get paid to do our hobby, to working with some big companies and, you know, and doing some impressive things. So, I guess to start it off, because we've done an interview with you before. So if you want to know a lot of, we'll touch your background a little bit now, but I guess what I really want to talk about is you, why did you pick copy? Why not paid ads? Why not something else? Why copy? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So when it actually kind of goes back to the whole martial art world. So when I was just starting to teach martial art at my old martial art instructor's school, you know, I was like really good at the punching and kicking stuff. But when it came down to teaching, I was stumbling over my words. I didn't know how to teach. I was like nervous. And then whenever people would come into the school and I would have to try to like get them to come for a a free class or a trial of some kind. I was like terrified. I couldn't speak with these people. I was horrible at selling. You could suck. <laughs> I couldn't talk, man. I couldn't talk. I could punch and kick, but like I was like out. I was like jujitsued with like just verbal jujitsu. You know what I mean? It was terrible. But the so we tried a bunch of stuff. I tried role playing. I tried doing all these different like sales courses and stuff like that. That Seafood Dwight, it's Dwight Woods in Miami. He's he was my instructor, and uh, that's what I'm talking about here. So I'll just address him as Dwight from now on instead of going through my anyways so Dwight taught me a bunch of stuff we tried doing like some cool sales like role-playing stuff nothing really worked and he was like you know let's let's try another approach because he was a big Dan Kennedy fan and he actually is a person who took me to the last system seminar and mm-hmm. like funded that trip I, I think I yeah it's where we met I think I paid for my plane ticket and he like he paid for everything else pretty much right so yeah. uh really cool guy. And he was like, let's see if you can learn this thing called copywriting, because it's essentially the same thing as selling, except you're doing it with writing. And maybe that'll just kind of help you learn this communication stuff. So I started copywriting and writing emails for him. And then he told me, you know, rewrite all of Dan Kennedy's old stuff and Gary Albert's stuff and all this cool stuff. Right. So I rewrote a bunch of copy and, uh, but I use it as like a form of self-development, really. It wasn't to become a copywriter. It was like, I just need to learn how to communicate these martial art classes. And the other thing that Dwight taught me, because he's a really good martial art instructor, but he's also really good like with the martial art business. He understands marketing, understood all that stuff. So he, he talked about how when you're teaching in front of the class, 
It's like selling from stage. We're constantly selling the people at the end of the class to want to come back to the next class and to stick around. And this is a monthly continuity type of business model. And so I went from looking at it as just like, here's where I train martial arts to now this, he exposed me to this business world and I was hooked. It was, it's like one of these things, like how Muay Thai and Jeet Kune Do and martial art was for me. When I first got into it, I just got obsessed with it and I just got hooked for some reason or another. I just latched onto it. And the same thing happened with copywriting where, he exposed me to these people. And I was like, these guys aren't like, yeah, well, some of them went to college, obviously, but so these guys aren't like big college Harvard degree guys. They're, they're like normal human beings that were able to, you know, make fortunes writing words and communicating stuff. And I, I just, I was so drawn to that because it wasn't something that was taught in school. It wasn't something I heard about. And the fact that it wasn't so popular, it's become more popular now, but it wasn't as popular, you know, years ago. And, and like the common person would, if they hear a copywriter, they think it's like uh, somebody who does like a trademark or something like right. that. It's yeah. They don't really get it. And I liked that. I thought it was really cool. Like the, the secretiveness about it almost like, Hey, I'm behind the scenes. And I'm able to like make a lot of money and I, I, and like, I can have this secret lifestyle. So I've always just kind of liked that like romantic part about it. And so that's, that's really, I know it's a long answer to it, but that's really how I kind of fell into copywriting. It was eventually, it was, it started as that self-development type of tool. So I learned how to communicate and then I just liked the lifestyle of it. And I wanted to really, and that's that I just got obsessed with it. So what are the, what are the fundamentals? Of good copy. Sure. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, what I'll do, there's a lot of things. I mean, you have to be able to grab attention. You have to understand what you're selling. And when I say what you're selling, I don't mean like you have to know like the benefits of the product. I mean, when you're writing a Facebook ad, for example, the goal of most of these Facebook ads is to just get people to like click on that link. And then the next step in the funnel or the process is let's say a landing page that asks them for their email address. So we're doing, we're selling the click on the ad and then we're selling, give me your email address on the next page. And then we might be selling the actual product we're trying to sell them on that final page, for example. And so one of the things that you really want to understand is you don't have to sell everything all at once, right? Sometimes people will have this, you know, it doesn't matter if it's like a $20 product, $2,000 product, you know, whatever. But let's say you have a $20 product instead of just kind of pitching it right up front. In some cases, you can do this. You can always break the rules, but just as a general rule of thumb, you know, you don't want to do that. You, you want to do these things in baby steps. It's kind of like gaining compliance. You're taking someone who knows nothing about you. They click, they found your advertisement somehow on Facebook or Google or wherever it is. And, and they just said, Hey, this, this person caught my attention. Let me click here to learn more. So understanding what you're selling and at what stage in the process you're at is, is really good for marketing, but it's really critical for good copywriting. Hmm. So one of the key fundamentals then is knowing what the goal is sounds like yeah and there's i mean there's a lot of stuff like i could actually share a five-step formula that i've used to write facebook ads and emails and articles and tons of different things and this formula can be modified just like a lot of things in copywriting but what it does is it gives you a, a framework that you can use so that you don't just stare at the blank page and like what you're like what am i going to write right so this will kind of help you get started so, so let's just go ahead and go through it so the first step 
is you have a yes phrase or a yes question. I'll go through the five and then we'll, we'll try to freestyle an example or something. So first, first thing is yes phrase or yes question. Step two is a story to identify the problem. Step three is we have the discovery of the solution. Step four is we have what's going to suggest the possible solution. And then step five is call to action. So if I was selling like a coffee container or something like that, I would say love coffee. That would be my first step because I'm, I'm getting them to say yes. That's a yes question or a yes phrase. Then step two would be a story to identify the problem. So I would say, well, I really love coffee, but one of the biggest things that I have trouble with is whenever I, I take it out of whenever it's freshly made, it's too hot. And by the time I get to the office, it's too cold. It's never like perfect temperature. Let's assume that's the problem. Right. Step three now is I, I've, it's a discovery of the solution. So this is where you introduce the product essentially, but then something crazy happened. I went on Amazon and I found this really cool Yeti container that keeps my coffee warm for six hours straight and I never have to reheat it. Really amazing. Okay, step four now is I suggest a solution. Now this uh, Yeti cup has worked for me and it works for thousands of people all around the world. Maybe it'll work for whoever's reading this ad. Step five, call to action. But there's only one way to find out. Just click over and check it out right now for yourself. Right. So it's a, that's a very natural path persuasion that you can use, like I said, for emails, for Facebook ads, for a lot of different things. It can also be expanded, but that's something that you can use as a basic framework to just start writing copy. Mm. Yeah, I love it. That, makes, that really helps simplify it. And I love why stories. I'm, I feel like I know the answer, but why, why story? Sure. Yeah. Well, stories are what really help connect people. In fact, whenever you share a story and to make it even more powerful, if you share like a secret in the story, like, hey, here's a dirty little secret that I've rarely shared, but I'm finally sharing it for the first time. And it all started back in 1993 when, you know, this kid, Timmy, pushed me off the, the kindergarten thing, whatever. Right. But that's what it's. It's hooking the trauma, Carlos, in your voice. (laughs) 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 But but so you 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 go through the story because it's what's going to help someone really get hooked into what you're saying, because they're getting flooded with a bunch of advertisements to say, buy this, buy that. Here's the sale. Here's the discount, all this shit. But if you're selling stuff, and especially if you're selling on social media, I mean, that social part of it is really critical. And so being able to tell a good story doesn't have to be long. It could literally just be like three or four sentences long, but something that's going to kind of hook them in and really paint a picture of what's going on, the situation you're talking about. That's what's going to differentiate you versus a lot of other people out there. Yeah, I love that. One of the bit of a sidebar my daughter she's gonna be four in november and she's at the school and and they're so big on two things singing and storytelling everything is singing and everything is a story and so how we learned i just thought that was really interesting yeah yeah that's interesting that is interesting they always do puppet shows every day they do a puppet show at the school for the kids in their class because it's all it's like there's always a moral to the story they're not teaching in the sense of like pointing to the chalkboard and like Three plus three is, but they'll tell a story. And Timmy met two friends. Timmy and two friends. How many friends, kids? Yeah. You know, and then they go. So it's not, it's not like rote numbers on a board with a ruler. And it's, it's anyway. So I just thought that was. No, that is interesting. And and 
actually kind of go off that a little bit more. It's very similar to what we want to do in our copywriting because what they're doing with these little like puppets or whatever it is, is like demonstrating the thing they're talking about most likely. So if they're saying this little puppet is jumping up and down, they're probably doing a thing with the puppet that it's jumping up and down. And it's the same thing we do with our copy. We want to be able to demonstrate whatever it is you're selling. So that's why softwares can be really great way. Like they're, for me, they're like the easiest thing to sell if it's a good software, because you can have all the great testimonials and all the good copy around it. But at the end of the day, if you can show it in action, just show how the magic works, that's what's going to get people to really want to buy it because you're showing them the actual solution. So in our copy, if we can paint the picture with our stories and and really kind of describe that experience and really kind of make them get involved with it, it just makes everything work a lot better. You remind me of a story. I don't know where I heard it, but it was about the guy trying to sell brakes for elevators. So when elevators first happened, a lot of people weren't adopting them. The cable would break from time. You'd hear about it from time to time and a bunch of people would die. So this guy went around to marketplaces, trade shows, and he had like a, just an elevator platform and he would let get an audience come up and he'd stand on the platform where you have some big burly guy from the audience come up and swing an axe and cut the cable. And he'd only drop like a half a foot before the brakes kicked in. And that was how he got all of his brakes, which are now the, apparently the standard brakes in all the elevators. But that was how he sold it. It was like, he didn't go knocking in door to door to sell the corporations. He started, he made like a show out of it and, you know, had the big, you know, like my life is on the line. And well, you know, I don't, I don't know what he did, but he had, it was like a daredevil feat. You know, that's how he presented it. And yeah, that, that, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I won't, I won't like beat this down, but that, that's exactly, yeah, I really, I used to sell knives face to face years ago. And one of the things I would do is like show how like amazing it cuts shit. And then we would always upsell them with, I forget what it's called now, but it's like a cutting board. That's what it is. And uh, it, it, it wasn't glass. I forget what it was made from, but it wasn't wood. It was some kind of material like a plasticky type thing but it looked really nice it looked very breakable so what i would do to demonstrate that it wouldn't break is be like, look i can chop on i can chop on it really hard and you know all this shit but look at this and i would just throw it up in the air and let it fall on the ground i i never had one break thank god but i would <laughs> must get the devil yeah exactly <laughs> that's exactly it yeah so then it would fall i'd be like look i could throw it up in the air fall now you guys will never do this stuff but if it's good enough to last my abuse and i do these shows every single day 365 days a year if i if i can do this and it's not breaking it'll last you guys a lifetime plus it even comes with a money back guarantee you want to go you sold knives face to face this is door to door this is like at a booth at a mall what is it hey. Yeah. So we had, I had like a boss above me and they would get ins at different like stores. So like big pack stores or big locations where there was just a lot of traffic, maybe it was outside. And it was our job to go and like route people up and get them to like, come check out the show. Stop uh, chop guy. That's it. That's it. Yeah. I was like that. Yeah, that was exactly what I was doing. So I was doing that. And then the, uh, yeah. So sometimes I would pitch people one by one and I would give like a knife away to them. So I would make them hold a knife. I'd be, hey, hold this real quick. And they'd be like, what the fuck? This guy just gave me like a butcher knife. And then I would turn around and walk away. And now like most people don't want to steal. So they're like, hey, what are you what are you doing? Right. And I'm not dressed in like a like a uniform from the store because I don't work at that store. I'm just like in I'm like, <laughs> like, who the fuck is this guy? And so I was like, yeah, 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 come follow me real quick and I'll show you how to use that thing. And so they're, what is this? So they come follow me with this, like, you know, big old butcher knife or whatever. 
And then I would uh, say, okay, trade me. I'm going to give you something for free. So I would take that one back and I'd give them this free sample. I say, okay, now hold that. Well, and you can have that for free just for listening to the, to how to use this, whatever knife that I'm going to show you how to use. And so I would give them the free thing and do my demo. And then at the end of my demo, right before I was going to pitch them, I would do what's called product in hand. And I would take the, like the, the knife I'm using and then like the whole set. I would be like, now here's the knife I'm using and here's the whole set that it comes with. And I put the, here, take a look at that. And I would, I would put it into their like chest so they couldn't not take it. So they're holding it in here. And then I'd have like, you know, a minute and a half or two minutes of me talking about the price point and then breaking it down. And it's half off right now because I'm doing a tour around the world and shit and blah, 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 blah. And so since they're holding it, they're like more wanting to buy it. And they were just, anyways, I won't go through the whole pitch, but it was, a- oh, I think it's powerful because I think this is such some of the world's best copywriters have door to door, face to face, one on one, right? I did door to door fundraising for charity when I was a kid. And I, I That's did that. I did that for a lot. Save the Kid Foundation and the, all these other things. And I did even tele, tele, what do you call that? Telesales to sell. Oh, right. Yeah. He tells me. Circus. cops. Yeah. Like, you know, buy tickets to the circus and support a cop and like all this kind of stuff. There's, there's funny stuff, man. Like, I mean, there's like shit people that like you can get away with a lot of stuff. I learned a lot about people just by doing that job. It's like how much you can push the envelope and stuff. Like during Christmas time, I would wear an elf hat and me and my buddy, uh, Chad, he is just funny. His name was actually Chad and he was a white kid from South. He like kind of fits the description of like a chat, but whatever. So Chad, I, you know, this wasn't like a, a joke years before. Anyways. So Chad and I would have these competitions where we would see, like, we would like bag our prospect type of thing. So like instead of giving them the gift of the knife and say, hey, come follow me, we would hook them by putting a fucking a Santa hat, like one of those, like the red Santa hat that I would put it on their head. I'd say, hey, here, boom, I choose you. Check this out. Come here. I want to show you something. And you, it was like the weirdest fucking approach. And uh, a lot of people would find it funny because I would say it laughing. And I would say, hey, real quick. And I would come from the front. I would never come from the back. You get fucking shot. But I would <laughs> I would be extra dramatic. That's one of the things I realized. The the if I was like very robotic and be like, "Hey, I'm gonna you know put this on your head real quick and you know follow me," that shit's not fucking working. But if I like stand up and I have big old so I'm like, "Hey, real quick, let's check this out. I'm gonna put this on you right here. Boom! This is your free gift for a little bit. Come check this out real quick. I'm gonna show you something real cool and whatever it is." But I would we, we would have contests see how many people we could like bag with the you know. Yeah. With the fucking hat, because we're like, like, how are people doing? And I'm short. I'm five nine, dude. So there's guys that are like six foot two, six foot three, and and shit. I'm like jumping up, fucking banging there. Yeah, it's really funny. <laughs> Is that something that you would recommend if someone's trying to write copy for something to, to actually try to sell it to to people before they write a word? No, I mean you can, but sometimes you know, one of the things that you can do to shortcut a lot of this stuff, like if you have a face to face, if you know, sales experience, that's a huge benefit because you really understand sales at that point. Like saying one thing versus another, like how it makes people feel and you can see the response in real time and shit. So there's, there's nothing that's going to like replicate that experience other than doing it. But if you have the ability to just jump right into copy and skip that stuff, 
you know, it's very, it may sound contrary to a lot of other, what copiers would suggest. I would say that's good. Now, all you've got to do is listen to the sales calls that the person you're writing copy for, like listen to their recorded sales calls. So you can see what's the customer actually like asking on these calls, like what are their big five or 10 questions that every single one of these people continuously ask? Because now you can hit those points in your copy. So that way it makes those calls a lot easier for, for the person taking them. Right. So, you know, it's good someone's to have to be sorry. doing it. Someone's got to be doing it. It sounds like, but yeah, someone's got to be doing it. And, and there is something like I've done this for myself and, and clients as well. I'll call people asking them like the testimonials and stuff. I'll ask people for testimonials essentially on a call and I'll say, Hey, you just ordered the whatever product. And I was wondering if you'd be open to giving us a, a little bit of your insights so we can share it in our marketing. Would you be down for like a, a one minute Zoom call or, or one minute Zoom call, like a, a five minute Zoom call or something like that? We can just record the video. And a, a number of people are cool with it. You don't even have to. I mean, if you want to offer them like, yeah, then the Zoom call, you're going to get this free gift and discount. Like, that's all good. Sometimes it biases the result. Right. Yeah. You don't really even need to do that, though. Yeah. A lot of these people are like more than willing to do that. And then if you want to, you can just be cool and say, hey, thanks so much. I'm going to give you a free thing in the mail. You can do cool shit like that or email or whatever. There's that. And then the other people I've called, I've posted this in the past on my Facebook. I'll call my refunds, people who've asked for refunds mm -hmm. and stuff. For, for, I mean, you could do this for anything that you're selling. But a lot of these were when I was writing one of my offers that's a $9 a month copywriting training. And I called people who like ordered and refunded or people who were like, what the hell is going on? And I realized that some people didn't realize it was nine bucks a month. And so they were like, I'd still buy it, but I just didn't realize it was nine bucks a month. So I just made it more clear, but you get a lot more, you just get a lot of information from these, these like refund calls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you, you can also turn the refund around by giving them stuff for free and upselling them down the line. So you can say stuff like, Hey, you can also do this through email, which is way more scalable. I'm talking just, you know, if you're talking to the person who's asking for a, a refund on nine bucks, you know, here's how you can overcome it. Same. You could, again, you can do this through email, but you say, Hey. If you don't refund, what I'm going to do is I'll also give you like $500 worth of really cool training video showing you how to do this, that, and the other thing, assuming you've got some other content somewhere that you can repurpose. But that way, it's our way of saying sorry for, I guess, you not knowing that this was nine bucks a month. You get some more training, you have some more value, but now you know it's nine bucks a month. And you still, and if you want, you can still, you know, stay at, or bleh, I'm, I'm like stumbling over my words, but okay, okay. keep access or whatever to the training. Right. So a lot of times that can like just help overcome the refund. And it's just, it's, you get a lot of cool, like insights as to why people are refunding, what their complaints are. You can improve your product, obviously with that, but you can improve your marketing because you can just answer a lot. And hopefully if you improve the things they complain about, if it's a common theme, you can address these things in your marketing, like, Hey, we won't do X, Y, Z, right? Whatever it is. So yeah. hopefully that, that kind of answers a little bit of the question. Yeah, it does. I mean, the question was, you have to talk to people one-on-one -on -one, and, and it sounds like you don't, it depends on who, who the consideration. If you're writing copy for yourself, you probably need and want to, but if yeah. you're the client and if they've got people talking to the prospects, then you might just be able to get those recordings of those calls. But at the same time, it's a good idea, no matter what, to possibly just talk to some happy buyers, talk to some unhappy buyers and yeah. figure that out. And I love that. I love that. I love that. Okay. Plus the people who were unhappy, they probably didn't expect a phone call. So if you treat it as a customer service call, not as a marketing call, but obviously you're getting marketing material from this, mm -hmm. it's, it's really cool.
So you could just be like, hey, this person's unhappy. I'm going to have in my back pocket that I'm going to give them some free shit and I'm going to ask them to not refund and not cancel. Got it. And that's it. <laughs> I wanted to ask about just kind of I like new school versus old school in the sense of, especially since the pandemic, so many good people have been pushed online, things online like TikTok wasn't a thing. It's hard to know because I think it was, you know, the top 10 in-demand jobs in 2018 or 18 didn't exist in 2017 type thing. So things are moving so fast, but I also know you've got some old school, like copy coaching experience with Agora. And I wanted to ask, what are some of the differences per se? And does everything translate? Sorry, I'm not sure I get it. So like the old school versus like what we're doing now post pandemic, I guess. Well, just a lot of people are coming on and, and they're making it up as they go. And there's people that are having success. There's all sorts of people sure. growing up like an e-commerce store, but then you've got like the old school offline copy kind of culture. And how is that translating, you know, and, and, and that. So, I mean, it also, okay. So it can, how do I phrase this? It obviously still works. Like it's just fundamental direct response stuff, but there's some things that you you don't have to do so for example a lot of times with like opt-in pages that's like a very simple example you could say opt-in pages a lot of people would say hey long copy works best and long copy works best for a lot of things but opt-in pages my best opt-in pages are like a headline and a box to fill in your name and that's it there's no bullet points there's no pictures there's nothing it's it's literally just that and there's no pop-up it's just the old school form on there that they have to you know put their shit in there that's worked the best for me it's worked the best for my clients but the but the whole thing of like people coming online now there's this entire from what i've noticed because i've sold my copywriting stuff to copywriters who are already copywriters that just want to learn more copywriting stuff and then to people who like are just fresh coming to make money on the internet because they lost their job or whatever happened and they just want to figure out how to make money online so i'm selling them the opportunity of becoming copywriters and making money as copywriters so i've kind of dabbled with both types of people there are definitely two types of people right now and um a lot of the old school stuff like making make five hundred dollars in in you know thirty minutes or make five hundred dollars a day you know after, a lot of that stuff isn't working as well and for the people it does work on they're really not buyers they're like sweepstakes freebie seeking bottom of the barrel type of leads that will that will never buy type of stuff right mm. um, that's what I've noticed because I've definitely tried it right because I figured it would work well. And, and I know it worked well years ago because some of my clients were crushing it with that. But then when I changed it to a bit more of a bland, I still have a good promise and stuff like here's how you can, but the promise is like how to start freelance writing career in 2022 risk-free. You know what I mean? Like it's very bland versus how to make $500 a day. Yeah, And the type of people that are coming through my more bland type of offer, they're higher quality, way more quality. I mean way better so the old school stuff can work to get a bunch of opt-ins but they will probably not buy so you just have to know your audience right and that's why i'm like a lot of the old school new school stuff i always try to tiptoe around because it's not like old school stuff doesn't work it still works it's just in the the market that like the stuff i'm selling you know you, you the blander more transparent type of stuff and the slightly less hypey 
it tends to work better because by this, like most people know what a funnel is like right. five, 10 years ago, no one knew what a funnel was. They just knew what a website was. Now everyone knows what a fucking Shopify store is. Like I have, I have like people at McDonald's that like have seen my Uber or my Uber, my God, my copywriter sh- Uber shirt, my copywriter shirt. And no one has, or and, and people who are like working at McDonald's are like, Oh, are you, do you do that Shopify stuff? Cause they relate copywriting, marketing, Shopify shit, make money online. And I'm like, if the kid from fucking McDonald's is like, knows what a copywriter is like, this is because this, like they know what funnels are. And like, this is common knowledge, you know? So you have to market to them a little bit more differently. It's when I was thinking Uber, it's when I was, I was thinking of like that old advice of like, if your Uber driver or taxi driver is giving you stock advice, it's like, it's already too late, bro. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was just curious in the sense that almost like what you said before it used to be just put a, a, your sales letter online and drive traffic to it. And, and, you know, maybe it can brute strength that out, but it sounds like you're talking about stages of market sophistication, like the market yeah. stage. Yeah. I mean, we've just become a lot smarter with the internet. Like, and when I say like, maybe smarter isn't the best word, maybe it is, but it's like, when you look at like like an old show, like, like I was just listening to Joe Rogan. He talked about this old show that I used to watch too called the $6 billion man, $6 million man or $6 billion man. I can't remember, but whatever. He was like robotic from like the waist down or something. And he was like fight. Anyway, it was like the fucking jam. It was like such a good show. And then you look back at it now, it's like, this shit is horrible. Like (laughs) scenes are like not real. Like, like even like the like a 12 year old in, in like sixth grade knows how to like do jujitsu or some fucking basic boxing now like these guys back in the day didn't have the internet they couldn't watch a youtube video on how to like keep their hand up and shit so right. it's like everything i think the internet it just made people a lot savvier and they can just sniff out bullshit like that old show was a hit back then because no one knew anything about fighting no one knew like no one knew shit you know what i mean but now we know like that would never fucking work. Like that was ridiculous. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Yeah, I, that's that's kind of what I think is going on. But the other thing kind of to, to talk about these new people coming online. One of the other reasons that I've since COVID, when I started, when I used to sell pretty much just high ticket stuff and we still do a good amount of like sales that are like 5000 to $25,000 within that range. But pre-COVID, when everyone was didn't know what COVID was or anything, those are really easy to sell. Whenever someone needed to get financing and apply for a loan to afford the program, they were getting qualified really easily because they all had normal jobs and like steady incomes and they just wanted to transit. It was like really easy, easy time. But then after COVID, people started losing their jobs and they couldn't afford my $25,000 stuff anymore. And they, whenever they would apply for a loan, they weren't getting qualified anymore because they didn't have a job and their credit score went down because they had already taken out a bunch of stuff to just survive during COVID and shit. And so I was like, wow, we're like not fucking closing nearly as much as what we were before. And it's not because people don't want it. The same people want the stuff. They just can't get into the program anymore. So I was like, do we drop the price down? So we created smaller packages that weren't as involved. So we were trying to sell them to a 5K program. And so we were able to get some sales for that. That was like, okay, that's good. But then I started pushing my $9 a month copywriting stuff a lot more because I had it and I realized I have, I've had people on there for like over a year that just keep paying nine bucks a month. It's like one of my like longest 
like people don't drop off that. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. people say like three months is the long, you know, like what the average thing is in the industry and that people, you know, phase out of your subscription. I have people in there for like over a year that keep paying it probably because it's just nine bucks a month and it's not, you know, really making a big impact on their, on their bank account in a right. negative way. So anyways, I started pushing that and like, that's actually something that's been working well because we'll, we'll make a little bit of money just from running ads. Like I'll spend about 30 to 35 bucks a day on, I think it's like 33 actually, but whatever, 30, 35 bucks a day on like one of these nine ads, pushing people from my, an Instagram story to my $9 a month offer. And then the reason I do 33 bucks is because my average order value is 40 bucks. So I, I just kind of make it about the same so I can theoretically break even. And we're more than breaking even. We're making money and we we have appointments booking after they purchase to learn more about our higher ticket offer. And so we're getting people who are completely cold and don't know us to sign up for nine bucks a month. So now we create some monthly revenue for the company and then upselling them into the higher ticket stuff. And that's something that's been done for years, you know, but what I did in my business was I really just stopped building those little monthly income, you know, subscriptions and started focusing on high ticket. And then with COVID, the low ticket combination with high ticket is what really helped me. So that's something that I would suggest for any business, regardless of what you're saying. Well, that sounds, that's the, it's the, the model typically, I mean, I, I'm, it reminds me of uh, EMIT. I mean, I bought the EMIT book and then I think I bought their $200 course and then I ended up buying the 5k coaching program back in the day, you know, and that's kind of, it sounds like just basically what you're doing. Except for yep. instead of selling a $9 book, you're selling a $9 a month you right. thing. Yeah. So can you speak to that a little bit? Is there a big difference between selling a one-time sale versus a subscription? Is there a huge hurdle to decline? Sometimes, yeah. So I've found that there, there can be a hurdle. I've tried doing it like in a few different spaces. So like copywriting, I found it's actually pretty easy. People are okay with paying nine bucks a month for it. It's not... It's not that great. Like my, my page converts at like 4% with cold traffic, which works for me. I mean, there's people that are converting way more and all this crazy stuff, but it works for me. It's doing decently. But when I've tried doing it in like other spaces, it didn't work as well unless we added a physical element to the front end. So we would say, get, well, the free book offer is actually a very common example. So we can use that. So we say, Hey, get the free book, John Cables. (laughs) All right. So get John Cables free book. You know what I mean? And then along with your free book, you'll also get a 30 day test drive of our XYZ inner circle club. And if you like it, do nothing. We'll continue your membership or so you can get access or you will continue giving you access for, you know, 27 bucks a month or whatever the offer is. So that's something that we've done to try and make it work on the front end. If, but, but yeah, I mean, the front end, if you can get it to work on the front end, I've liked that the best because now every single customer is a repeat customer. It's the best. But if you can't do it on the front end or if it's just not working out, like I tried it in the pet space, like trying to sell like some dog necklace and then try pushing into an online subscription. We tried doing a supplement on the front, like different little things and it just wasn't working. And so we're actually about to test another thing now, which is in the works. So we'll see if this one works, but we're going to try $1 for. I think 30 days and then you're going to get access to like all all of the quarter like fucking seven or eight different courses and trainings and shit and then afterwards you're going to get billed 10 bu- or nine bucks every two weeks so like 18 bucks a month mm-hmm. so we'll see how that works because i've seen that work why are you doing the nine dollars every two weeks why not just the 18 once a month 
Is it just a frequent? It's a it's just lower. Yeah, it just lowers it on the when somebody goes and looks at their bank account and shit. Nine bucks just is not a big deal for them. So nine bucks, you break it up versus doing you know eighteen Should bucks we- or whatever. Yeah, every, that that's worked. We actually did this with uh, which one called this guy Chris Matz who hired me, and I think this was actually his idea because it was ours to do the subscription. We blew it up with like a physical product, and then uh, that pushed people into the subscription. Then he wanted to try this one dollar offer that gave them everything and pushed them into like the nine ninety five every two weeks deal, and that blew up too. And our client is this guy from Real World Tactical. He's a character in Call of Duty. He's this guy Lurch in Call of Duty. So if you ever play with, he's got like a million followers on on Instagram or more, maybe more by now. I don't know, but so it's fun writing for him. But yeah, so we're taking that for this dog niche now. We're saying, well, it worked with the the fitness people. We gave them everything, you know, for a buck, and then we're rebuilding them every couple of weeks. Let's try it now in the dog space, and that's kind of like our last attempt with this specific offer to see if it works. So hopefully it does. But we're we we literally just rolled that out I think a few days ago. So yeah, but yeah, that that combination, man, getting something for getting people in on the subscription, the front end is like the best. But if you can't do it, you may have to try it as an upsell. Right, 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 right. Yeah, okay. Now, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people making when you go and work with someone? What are just the common bread and butter? ways people are self-sabotaging so to speak that's a good good question i would say we really gotta think about that some common ones i mean a lot of the common things are like just selling or offering too many different options so so like one for example like on some webinars or vsls like at the at the end some people are offering three different options like and I've only seen this work in one space and it's for my buddies, Levi and Travis, who sell in the real estate. They're actually doing this and it's working, but it's like, it's working for another reason. Anyways, whenever people are offering like, Hey, buy my product for this, or you can schedule a call with me, or you can like, you know, call us directly and do this other shit. Like they have like three or four different fucking options. That's something that usually doesn't work that well. I want to keep like just a singular focus on every single page that we're selling. So it's again, the kind of knowing where you're at. Are we selling the click? Good. We sell the click on the ad. Then we sell them to give us their email address. And then on the next page, we sell them on the full package. And if we have to downsell them because they say, hey, I can't afford that, then we can have marketing that says, hey, if you couldn't swing that, here's a payment plan. And then we can start introducing those different options that you wanted to put on the page. But we just do it in, in a specific order so we get the most out of our marketing. Right. If if we give people the option, if we give people like 40 different options, which is exaggerating by analysis. Yeah. They're just not going to know what to do. There's, I, I don't know. It's like having a menu that's so big at a restaurant and it's like, gee, I don't know what to order. Like you got to condense this menu. Yeah, okay. So that's one. Is that the big one? That's well, yeah. I mean, that's probably the big one. A lot of people that I work with now already have the, and, and even business owners now, like I talked about, like, the marketing world has become a little bit more common knowledge for like a common business owner. Like the person who had a martial arts school before, like when we were doing our school and we had like a direct response style page that had a headline and yeah, three <laughs> 30 days. And like, maybe we gave them a fucking ebook or a video. Like that was, we were like pioneers, you know what I mean? Like it was like very few people did that stuff and only like the real winners did that. And I'm sure it's still like that, but Pretty much a lot. Like, I, I would assume that a lot of the martial arts, maybe I'm wrong. I don't because I haven't been in that world in a minute, but I would assume a lot of the martial arts schools now 
have an idea about how to have a basic headline and offer free free 30 days like they understand what an offer is don't just put your schedule there in a telephone number you know what i mean a little, a little bit it's funny you mentioned this and i'm only bringing it up because it's relevant but we're at my daughter's school again there's a bunch of jiu-jitsu guys there i haven't touched matt in years but apparently i'm gonna end up being ball and told into it but they're lot opening up a new school literally across the street this guy is part of a network of five schools now he's got school software but I showed him all my systems, my infusion, like all my automation, all my, my internal forms, my like my call center form for when people call in. Blue is mine. He was like jaw dropped. He, they're just pushing a calendar. He's got a yeah. face. They're like, they, there's no offer. It's just like what it is they're teaching, you know? And, and this is a network of five schools. They're like, he said, like he owns it, but it's, you know, they're all the same. You know, they're all with the same belt system sort of thing speak. So I was like, you thought, I, like, what, what am I trying to say here? And some people are, some people are, but there's still pockets, I think, where they're just as green as we were. So, right. Yeah. Right. I, well, I call that black belt eyes. Remember Mar- that- Marcos Avalon? He was saying that every time he had a new student, he'd kick him in the head because he said that he said that he was so impressed. He'd been doing martial arts since he was a kid. So, he was always so impressed if someone could kick him in the head. When he had a new student come in, he wanted to make sure he kicked him in the head so they knew how good he was. And then he couldn't figure out why people weren't coming back <laughs> to his school. It's because you're kicking people in the head their first day. And he totally forgot what it was like to be a newbie again, you know, and the awkwardness and the uncertainty. And so that's anyway. funny. I remember when Marcos was blowing up in Miami at Freestyle Fighting Academy because I was in Miami. Yeah. And they blew up, dude. I mean, yeah. they were just crushing it they were they were like the first ones to do free 30-day trials and then i went in there as a spy to figure out what the hell they were doing Mm -hmm. and their offer was so sick they would do free 30 days and then it's actually like risk-free for 60 days because after you signed up you'd have a 30-day money-back guarantee but then if you stayed on then you're like locked in for like however many years yeah yeah, yeah. you were really good with it but i mean these guys knew how to sell and they were in like a fucking suit Yeah, yeah yeah Oh, yeah. You guys were legit. They had it, they, uh, had, they had it all going. They had it all going. Yeah, it was really, really cool. But yeah, so, but I guess the other thing then would really, and it kind of goes back to like knowing what you're selling and offering too many things, but it would come down to the offer because sometimes we're trying to sell stuff that's just not going to be, that's just not packaged in a way that's sellable. Like it, it just may not be sexy enough. You may think it's the best thing in the world. You may think it's exactly what somebody needs to like solve their problem. But if they don't, think it's worth what you're offering it for, then they're not going to buy. So a big piece of it is making irresistible offers. And instead of trying to just, you know, share tons of different ways on how to do it, there's already a really cool book out. I don't know this guy personally, but there's a good book out by Alex Ramosi. Yeah, it's a good book. Yeah, a really good book shows you how to make offers. Now, there's tons of copywriting books. Pretty much all of them will speak about how to write an offer. I think in my copywriting book that I wrote years ago, I talk about how to write an offer. But this one, from what I've seen, is really good. He's got some really cool examples from like the present. And uh, if you're interested in trying to figure out how to write offers, check out Alex's book. Yeah. I, I don't get paid by him or anything. Never met the guy in my life, but it was a solid book. 
But that that is actually a place where people stumble because they're just trying to sell something. They hire copywriter after copywriter to sell it. They're like, what the fuck? No one can sell this. I'm like, well, maybe it's, uh, you know, the offer because it's just not sexy. And part of making offers sexy, like a subscription, for example, is instead of saying straight up, it's going to be, you know, nine bucks a month. You say, hey, it's free for 30 days. And then I'll try if you like it. I'll continue, I'll just bill you nine bucks a month. Or like what ClickFunnels does, they collect your credit card info, but they don't bill you for 14 days, or at least they used to. I don't know if they, I think, I would assume that's still the offer, but they don't bill you for 14 days or something. So you essentially have a 14 day test drive and then you get billed 97 bucks or 297 bucks or whatever it is a month. So that's part of making something irresistible. And if, and that's something also that if you have something that hasn't been selling, Offering it for a dollar trial or offering it for a free trial and that auto rebuilds is a good way of like, all right, this is like my last fucking attempt to try and get people in into the program. And it could be your first attempt to start, but that's that's a good way of like a, a tried and true method for getting people into subscriptions. Yeah, it's like the it's like the food counters in the grocery store. Like get them to try it so that we then yeah. understand, see the value, and then also build the relationship. I mean, that's the people that are saying. Probably maybe we're wondering, because you and I, again, we got black belt eyes. We have the 30-day free trial offer. It was to get people into the school because no other school would offer that because they're all trying to make money right away. We still gave them reasons why to sign up right away, but it allowed people to come. And even if they didn't sign up right away, it gave us an excuse to chase them for 30 days and try and convince them to join. Right. And that's right. the whole enable test drives part of that. So I think that that's really, really beautiful, really powerful. Now, I, I know we're reaching the end of the time and I want to be respectful, but I do want to ask one thing about this. I think it's important. Can we speak? Can you speak to a little bit of like the grunt work of marketing? What I mean is, you you you've written your copy, you've set up your pages, and you send a hundred clicks, and you don't have sales. Is that it? You scrap it all and throw it away, or like is there a certain amount of grunt work that has to go in before you can actually? You get what I'm saying? Like a lot of people want to just have it, set it, do a post on Facebook, and they're done. Can you speak to that a little bit? Like they're, yeah. So the the first thing is I, and Russell Brunson, I think was one of the people who brought this up first, at least when I first heard about it, it makes sense. You want to have about a thousand clicks come through your website because that'll give you some kind of idea of like, if this thing is selling or not, if you only sell, if you only send like a hundred people to your page, you may have a bunch of orders right away, or you may have no orders right away, but it's just not enough data to, that's like significant enough to like give you an answer, right? So first is you want to have about a thousand eyeballs look at your offer. And then the next thing is you want to make sure that it's not just a bunch of random eyeballs. You want to have as close to like hyper-targeted as you can get type of eyeballs. So the type of people that I target, for example, for like my $9 a month copywriting training, with my Instagram ad, I have a story ad on Instagram that's actually pretty direct. <laughs> I just say, want to master copywriting for $9 a month? Click here to see how, some shit like that. And then they click over and then it takes them to the page. That's a very long for, it's like probably 25 or 30 pages if you put it on a, a Google Doc, but just selling the shit out of this $9 a month offer. And uh, and so so anyways, people go from there, they buy that deal. I forget where I was going with this. Well, talking about we need, we need a thousand eyeballs. Oh yeah, you need a thousand. So, so when you do that though, and you you send a thousand people to this page, you you'll have an idea of how many people are actually buying the first thing versus how many people are buying the upsells and the downsells and all that stuff. And you want to start fixing your funnel because that's a funnel, something that's you're selling something here and then you're selling a few more things after it. You want to see where it's 
leaking, right? Like a, like a faucet or something or like a leaky pipe. You got, you want to figure it all out and you don't want to tweak every single piece of the funnel all at once because then you really don't know what's working, what's not working. You're kind of just hoping for things to work out and hope is not a good business plan. So you want to, you want to do this as scientifically as possible. And so if you see that, say, you know, 5% of the people are from, from the thousand that you're sending to the website are purchasing your offer, then, you know, that may be good. You, at the end of the day, you want to look at how much you're spending versus how much you're making and then how much you will make on the monthlies afterwards. And you kind of just judge if that's going to be worth it or not. But you can see if you have a bunch of people ordering the front end product for nine bucks or whatever, but no one is purchasing the next thing for 97 bucks. Well, that's, that's a leaky piece of the puzzle right there. So maybe that means we have to drop the price. Maybe we have to give them another test drive, whatever it is, but that means something needs work there. And so that's how I would look at this entire process of selling stuff online. You do it in stages and then, you know, the end result is, is a really great well-oiled machine. But while you're making that a well-oiled machine, you're still testing it, refining it. So there's going to be bumps in the road. But as long as you're able to make judgments based on like thousands of like tests of 1000, you know, visits to your page, you'll be okay. But that's kind of what you want to do. A thousand visits, then start kind of tweaking from there. Yeah, I remember I was so nervous about something once and a buddy of mine was like, Daryl, eyeballs just have, they must be sacrificed. Like he was like, eyeballs will be sacrificed. He was like, because I'm in your cause. Like that was his thing. Because, you know, I was nervous about putting my offer there. But what I don't want to burn my opportunity with these people. And I think that's something people have to understand is business is a never ending job hunt per se, in the sense that you're constantly looking for the next person that you can help with your product or service. And I love that. So there's only three ways to get traffic. You can buy it with paid ads. You can borrow it by having someone endorse you or an influencer, or someone share your stuff or a group, a Facebook group or something, or you can build it. And that's building your own following, which is long-term in a slower process. But one way or another, you have to get the traffic. And if, even offline, if you put your store in a mall, like you say, location, 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 you're borrowing the traffic that the grocery store is bringing in. So it wasn't a different, principles were the same. And I think that's really important for a lot of people because I know I've worked with people, they've set up a Shopify store and they're like, what, what do I do? And they've got like a thousand visits and like, or a hundred visits. Like even you said, even if you get a thousand visits, were those thousand visits people that were likely to buy or are you getting a bunch of senior citizens over to your site you're selling teenage girl gear like you know you know there's right next so there's got to be that and that's what makes buying traffic such an appealing thing because you have more control over the quality but then of course you gotta have the money to spend it so i I just want to speak to that a bit because i think dropped a lot of great nuggets here but i want people to understand that there is a bit of and i don't necessarily want to say grunt work but there's a bit of like hamster and wheel turning effort required. If, if you can't just write a check to pay for paid ads, right. Then you gotta, you gotta schmooze and get people to endorse you and be willing to sacrifice their built audience to test on your offer. Like, you know, there's just that part of it that I think that there's an intensity to advertising and networking that a lot of Mm -hmm. people don't understand. And I think that that is a really important thing to all this. So Carlos, this has been great. You've been talking about your $9 program. Where do they go to find that? Well, if someone wants to go check that out, I would go to thecopywritingdominationmethod.com. A little bit long. If you want to, what I would actually suggest, so if you want to speak to me about either learning more about copywriting from our copywriting mentorship, 
Or if you want to have me and my team actually write copy for you, just go and check out yourcasestudy.com. Again, it's yourcasestudy.com. And then you just put in your info there. You'll be able to watch a little video about what kind of funnels we can help with and the type of copy we can help you with. And then you can go ahead and book a call there at a time that's convenient for you. We'll chat, we'll see how we can help you and then we'll just customize a package that makes sense. So again, if you wanna check that out, just go to yourcasestudy.com. That's a great URL. I love that. That's a good one. Now, Carlos, this has been such a good call. People may want to listen to it more than once just to make sure they get all the nuggets. I got a couple of pages of notes. Is there anything I didn't ask you or should have asked you? Well, I, 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 you didn't talk to me about poker and I love playing poker. You love but, poker. Uh, yeah, but, but we could save that maybe for another time or we could have a poker mastermind and invite all your audience. Does poker translate to marketing in a lot? A lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, it's just business in general. I mean, especially if you're a winning player, like I go there and I play, obviously some days I win, some days I lose, but I track my results and I have a little app that I put in insert. Okay. I started with a thousand and I ended with X amount. And so I track that and every month I, I make a profit. And so I'm a winning player and it's cool to be able to know that. So that's something that's relatable to marketing and businesses. If you track your results, you'll know where you're at versus just kind of playing and saying, oh, I think I play good. I don't really know. Well, no, I know at least I can beat my certain player pools because here's how much I make every month. Mm -hmm. And like you can see my graph and how it looks. And although there's downs, there's a lot more ups, right? So I like that element of business that goes with poker if you really take it seriously. And then the other part of it is the people you make money off of are, they're like recreational players. They're people that are just there to have a good time. They're there to, when they, when they drop a few thousand dollars on the table to play a cash game with you, they're, they're literally just, it's like as if they're going to a bar, they're just there for a good time. And so I look at it like they're my customers. And so instead of treating them poorly, because some people like berate other players. They're like, oh, you suck so bad. I can't believe you made that hand or called that hand or whatever the hell. And it makes that person feel like like crap. But if you look at it like a business and you say, well, this is a customer of mine, customer of mine. If they beat me because they got lucky in a specific hand, you know, the war isn't over. There's a lot of playing to still happen, but maybe they won a few hundred bucks off me. I'll say, wow, dude, good hand. Fuck yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, be very nice because that's your customer. They're eventually going to give that plus more back to you. But the only way you're going to make that money off of them is if you treat them nicely and they sit at the table and they actually enjoy playing with you. Because if they don't want to play with you and they just think you're like a fucking grizzled pro over here trying to take their money and livelihood, they're just going to pick up and leave because now they feel uncomfortable. It's not fun. So, so. Yeah, it's very similar to business. It's just good customer service, smiling a lot, making sure they feel good. I've invested in buying. I don't drink. I, I'm a weed smoker, but I don't drink alcohol really very rarely. And especially when I play poker, I just drink coffee. But the guys who usually you you make money off of, they like to drink. So I I play enough at the casino that I have points on this on this card of mine as like a because I play a lot, and so I can get free drinks and a bunch of shit. So I buy them free. Yeah. free, but I'm like, dude, don't buy that. Let me order it for you, bro. You just lost a pot. Let me at least buy you a drink. And so I buy them drink and, you know, keep them at the fucking table, keep them smiling. And, may and so it also happens when, if you do that type of stuff, they want to keep playing with you to give you money. Yeah. But if they, uh, if they have the better hand in a specific situation, sometimes they take pity on you because they're like, God, this guy's such a nice guy. I don't want to take it. <laughs> 
I'll just check it back. So you actually, even though you lost, you could have lost more. So you lose the minimum because they like you. You're their friend, yeah. right? So, so yeah, that's should ask that, bro. Well, yeah, no, well, but, <laughs> you know, I talked about the research that I did, and one of the things that we found, just a little footnote, was that brand trustworthiness and rep- reputation, as well as corporate social responsibility, which are kind of the same thing, actually increase improve financial performance of companies, which literally just means almost like you said, like, don't be a dick. If you're not a dick and you actually look like you're out to do good, not just ma- and making money is a benefit of doing good. People right. want to do business with you. People want to frequent your business, but we all know those parasitic monopolies that we just like hate having to call just like vampires yeah. on our, on our life. And so I think that was a really good statement. Like just, just be like, help people enjoy their life and do good in the world. Even if you don't have an ethical bone in your body, yeah. people think on a 10 year, 20 year, 30 year, like if you want to be in business long-term, the only answer is to be a good dude. Yeah. Well, you know, absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. Awesome. Carlos, I appreciate you. I'm glad that we've been friends so long and I've been, it's been amazing to watch your journey. I'm just blessed to know you and be able to hop on a Zoom call with you. And uh, we'll have to have it come back again sometime soon. I love it, man. Thank you so much again. I, hopefully we do this again. That would be the plan.